Focus on Creative podcast, where we hear from creative experts, influencers, dreamers, and doers, what they've learned and what we can learn from their journey as we explore, respond, and create. Hey, welcome to the podcast. I'm Rich Langton, your host, and I'm so glad that you've joined us for another episode. In today's episode, we've got the fantastic Nathan Finocchio. And for those of you who've been listening, you would have heard him on last week's episode where we brought you the From the Road Cases segment of our Worship and Creative Conference. Nathan has been a part of our key team in New York for quite some time. He's a preacher, a songwriter, a musician. Nathan is a fun, you know, vibrant kind of guy. He's he's zany and really unique, but also really intelligent and a thinker. I think you'll find his perspective on hearing the voice of God through the Word of God is really helpful. And it's something that I know lots of people struggle with is hearing God's voice and knowing His direction. So I think you'll find this helpful. Something else that we talk about in this interview that I think is really applicable to us as creatives is the whole concept of gifting versus anointing. You know, what what part do we play? What part does our gift play? And what part does the Holy Spirit play in our lives? So I think you'll love that. I think it will be really helpful. He spoke a message on that to our own creative team here in Sydney. So we explore that a little bit more in this interview. But right now, let's jump into it and I'll talk to you again at the end. So I'm sitting here with Nathan Finocchio. He's he's um, agreed to do the podcast with me. Yes, I have. So who is who is Nathan Finocchio? Um, Nathan Finocchio is 35 year old son of a preacher, Canadian. I was I went to a Christian school for 10 years of my life, like a private Christian school with like 50 kids. <laughs> Wow. When I, yeah, nuts. When I was 16, my dad took a pastorate at a, in an agricultural community about an hour and a half from where I was born and moved the entire family there. We lived in the church because they couldn't pay my dad wow. any money. Like literally in the church? Yeah, there were, there were 30 people at the church. And we lived in the church for a year so my parents could save for a down payment on a home. <laughs> the church grew church is incredible, but I was living in like an agricultural community, 1,800 people, went to like a small, I finished high school, this like small little, like a movie type, you know, guys drove their tractor trailers to prom. Then I went to Bible college for four years in Portland, Oregon. And then I came back to my dad's church. I youth pastored there for three years and really enjoyed it. Had a blast. And then I went to New York. I, I, while I was youth pastoring, I met Joel and Carl in Toronto. And then, um, yeah, they were just like, hey, we're doing this thing in New York. And I kind of felt like I wanted to maybe do some music stuff with my brother in the, in the States, had some opportunities. And so, anyways, Nathan Finocchio is sort of a, uh, a conglomerate of my family and my experiences. And I'm sort of a creative slash church kid and, right. and at slash PK. And that's probably why I am the way I am. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which is a very confused person. <laughs> Do you feel like you um, dress the way you are on the inside? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. My, grand, my, my mother says, so my grandfather was a, he was a singing chef on the CBC and he was a golf pro and he was uh, just a, a nutty character mm. and he sang at Carnegie Hall. He was an incredible, talented guy. And mm. so I'm, apparently I'm a lot like my grandfather, just right. a bit like, 
you know, he wore tartan. You okay. know? <laughs> just like today. Exactly. Yeah. Like for today. those listening, we see tartan <laughs> yes. red. I'm wearing a tartan golf pants for you listening right now. What's funny is my parents are like hippies. Right. And um, so, and my dad's a musician, my mom's a musician. So probably like music and arts and expression probably runs in the family. And I come by it pretty honestly. Mm. All my aunts and uncles are like pot smoking hippies. So I'm definitely, you know, like I'm from a family that's, that's, you know, so this is probably par for the course right. as a Finocchio. Yeah. <laughs> I guess the reason I ask all the questions is because people might look at you, say, for example, you've been at the Hillsong, the Worship and Creative Conference, mm-hmm. and you're doing, you know, our segment um, and um, the Nathan Finocchio show for <laughs> one of a better title. Yeah. Um, you're wearing a, like a pink suit. Yeah. You've got long hair. Yeah. Lots of humor. Yeah. It's very funny. Mm-hmm. People might judge you for all of that. Sure. And think things of you. 100%. Of course they do. And you're comfortable with that. Yeah. I mean, I think that part of a healthy soul is believing the best about other people. And so I like to think that if, yeah, and believing the best about God, believing the best about others. Yeah. So giving God the benefit of the doubt giving others the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. So if my soul is healthy, I'm probably not typically aware. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I'm just believing that people, I walk into a room and this is probably part of, my parents are amazing mm-hmm. and they're super, I, I, you know, you are what your parents kind of put in and drop into you. Mm-hmm. So I walk into a room and I'm typically like, I'm wanted here. Right. You know what I mean? Like I don't think of myself as beautiful, but I just think of myself as like, I'm wanted here. Like right. we're going to have fun today, you know? Yeah. So I guess um, I'm not necessarily probably ever conscious of, or, or maybe in my subconscious, there's a little bit of, well, maybe people are judging me, but yeah. I guess if when my soul is healthy, mm. I'm thinking, oh, I'm good. When yeah. my soul is not healthy, and there are days that it's like that, then sure. I'd probably be a bit more like, mm. oh, like, you know. Mm. Does that make sense at It all? does make sense. I, I, the reason I ask the question is because yeah. I think the people listening yeah. will be, on, of you know, in one of two camps. Totally. One will be the person who looks at someone who dresses interesting yes. or who looks different or whatnot mm-hmm. and they'll immediately judge them yeah. and think little of them or think badly. The yeah. other one will be the type of person who resonates maybe. Right, right, right. And, and there'll be so many spectrums within that um, yeah. <clears throat> of comfort of how to approach life even. Totally. Um, I think that, like, so for example, like I fell in love with the Beatles mm-hmm. really early on and like music and art and stuff. So it's like you start to want to be like your heroes, you know? So my heroes weren't businessmen or Wall Street, you know? So like we all dress a certain way. We're all all trying to project something. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm. Like everybody's consciously projecting something Mm. or subconsciously. Yeah. But your subconscious is still a product of something that was once conscious. Right. So all that to say, I don't know, I'm... The other thing too is I think I am consciously aware of how I dress in the sense of like I'm a I'm a conservative. Yeah. I'm a theological conservative. Right. And I'm a ninja that way. So I get to have conversations just because of the way I dress with people who would you know if I dressed my political or my theological views, I wouldn't be invited anywhere. Right. So in that regard, I'm definitely conscious of of how I dress. Yes. If that yeah. makes sense. Yeah, it completely does. Because that, I guess that was my train of thought. Yeah. Because I know, like you're a teaching pastor at our church. Yeah. I know you think. Yeah. And I know you read. Mm-hmm. And you're intelligent. Sometimes. 
<laughs> <laughs> I think you're intelligent all the time. But the way you present yourself is accessible to a wider group of people. Yeah. I think that's really yeah. key. Sure. Interesting to be relevant. Yeah. Like you said, you can have conversations with people that you may not if you looked a certain totally a different way. Yeah. So where does the conservatism theologically come from? Yeah, nature and nurture. Mm-hmm. But your family's that hippies. Yeah, but my dad. So my parents got saved in a in a like a latter rain church, mm. teen challenge coffee house in like the seventies. Right. Mm. It was a conservative church that they got saved into, um, mm. mentored into, etc. So, I, I my parents are definitely conservatives, mm. and I went to like a the, the curriculum that I was taught. You know, for t- ten years as a Southern Baptist, like old school American, mm. and then I went to a a conservative Bible college. So 100%, like, that was part of my education. Mm. And then I started to get into G.K. Chesterton, who is, like, not a conservative mm. necessarily, particularly not, especially if you're a Protestant. Mm. I, you know, so I've been kind of fascinated with a lot of um, Anglican and Catholic theologies, et cetera. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I think I'm a, I'm a conservative because, um, well, conservatism, gosh, I mean, it's, it's not a great word. No. Um, has has so many connotations. It has so many connotations. Mm. Exactly. You know, Chesterton talks about how conservatives, you know, like progressives, you know, go on making mistakes, and conservatives try try to not allow them to be fixed. You know, so it's, <laughs> so it's like this mm. two. You know, and I, I'm, I I I reject that kind of like a two tier system or whatever. But conservative in the sense that I would go, yeah, I'm a confessional Christian. I have you know I have confessional presuppositions about the Bible. So when you start to say stuff that we take for granted, mm-hmm. you're actually a conservative. Most mm-hmm. people don't realize that. Right. And then if you apply that same sort of belief that we have, I mean, even in the culture of our church about your spirit, your responsibility. Mm-hmm. I mean, you apply that anywhere else, that's conservatism, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know? And so to me, I probably, I just seek like a consistency. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So I'm, all, I'm pro-justice. Mm-hmm. I'm pro, you know, like, feeding the poor and all that good stuff. Mm. But I also, I'm a conservative. And those two things can work together, right. if that makes sense. Mm. So my conservatism comes from a theological conservatism. And mm. that theological conservatism isn't a, a traditionalism, but it's a just a just a foundational creedal Christianity. Yeah. Mm. You know what I mean? Does that, does mm-hmm. that make sense? And it kind of flows from that? Yep. Do you find that people don't think about their theology enough? Well, I think, firstly, people do think about their theology all the time. Everybody has a theology. People just aren't conscious of the theology that they're thinking about constantly. Right. So that's kind of how I would phrase it. In the sense of, like, the question that you're asking is, do people do theological research or do they read theological books? Well, no. But are they convinced that their theology is right? Yes. Why? Because we're preaching to a democratic society. A democratic society is a society that it's liberated itself from old systems, traditional forms of authority. Mm-hmm. So the traditional forms of authority are, you know, the aristocracy, kings, etc. But speaking to uh, the democratic ear, the democratic ear is the ear that, because we've destroyed traditional forms of authority, we don't trust the authority anymore, and we don't even trust empiricism anymore the self has become the locus of interpretation. Mm-hmm. So when I'm speaking to somebody on a, on a Sunday, our church is full of people who are doing all the interpretation and they're appealing to their themselves mm-hmm. as interpretation rather than appealing to other forms of, of, you know what I mean? Right. All that to say, 
people aren't really necessarily conscious of that. Mm-hmm. And they're not even conscious that they and their interpretive methods are right or wrong. Mm-hmm. So in a sense, yes, people aren't thinking about their theology. But mm-hmm. why aren't they thinking about their theology? Because they're the focus, they're the they are the locus of interpretation. Right. <laughs> because we've destroyed interpretation for them in forms of authority. Right. So then someone's listening at home, they're hearing all of this. Yeah. And they're just like me, you're sitting in church, yeah. not even thinking about anything, just yeah. taking it. Yeah. What do you tell them? I tell them, number one, you're a theologian. Number two, you're just probably not a very good one. (laughs) Number three, become a good theologian. You know, there's an impetus there. Mm. If you're a Christian, you, you, you are responsible to rightly divide the word of truth. Number four, let's do a case study. What do you think about sexuality? What does the Bible have to say about it? Six, is that a right interpretation or a wrong interpretation? Does it matter if your interpretation is right or wrong? Are you convinced that sexuality and the Bible have something to say about it? Okay, well, then obviously interpretation matters. So why don't you go back and find out if you're applying that to the rest of Scripture? Mm-hmm. You know, so all that to say, um, yeah, I would just kind of encourage people to go, just go through that little form, go through that little checklist, and mm-hmm. does it matter? And is what you're reading really what God is saying? Mm-hmm. You know, or is it just kind of you know, like, do you, are you just an arbitrary, subjective person that who kind of just rolls around through life, mm. <laughs> and you're just you're you're the interpretive genius? Mm. Get better at being at interpreting. So mm. All life is is interpreting, right? Mm. Like all of life is interpretation. So we just need to be better interpreters. Mm. And there are people that are better at it. You can get better at it. It's not that hard, mm. and it's it's actually worth the investment. Do you think though that people they have an experience yeah. which then changes their interpretation? Yeah, totally. And so then the the experience becomes the lens. Oh, dude, hundred percent. So then, how do you, how what advice would you have to creatives, especially yeah. who are living emotionally and yeah. you know in the moment? Yeah, to not do that. I think that we need to experiences have to yield themselves. You know, there's no such thing as total objectivity. Right. But there, you can be a bit more objective. And so the subjective has to yield itself to the objective. So, okay, you've had some experience. You have had a bad, you've had a bad experience. Well, what does the word of God say? Mm. Well, hold the word of God against your bad experiences. God, I haven't been healed yet, but your word says that you're the healer. So, mm. you know, if I have a healthy soul, I'm going to believe God, you're my healer. Mm. And um, even though this hasn't been my experience, or maybe you've had some experiences that have been wonderful. You know, sometimes, for example, some Christians, they're living, they, they live terrible lives. And God, because God is so gracious and merciful, he blesses them. Mm-hmm. And then they think that because, like, that God's really blessing their terrible life. And sometimes fruitfulness isn't approval, it's just mercy. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's like, right. there's that too. Hey, we'll get back into it in just a minute, but let me just tell you that we are just a few short weeks away from the Hillsong Conference starting in Sydney, Australia, and then just a couple weeks after that in London. Hillsong Conference is our premier conference that happens every year in July, and it's for everyone, for creatives, for leaders, for pastors, for everyone. We've got some really specific masterclasses for creativity and creatives, for running creative teams, and I think you'll find they help your leadership and your creative team move forward. Personally, Hillsong Conference 
for me over the years has been a real time of growth and an injection of inspiration and really helps me move forward in my own personal life and leadership. So if you're out there and you're considering coming, let me encourage you to register now and be a part of it. You can get more information at hillsonconference.com, register today, and don't be a stranger. Come say hi if you're there. Let's jump straight back into it. Hi, I'm Nathan Finocchio, and these are my fantastic four. My favorite quote is probably like kind of paraphrasing uh, G.K. Chesterton, but you know, we're the ones that got old and God's the one who stayed young. A job that I would be terrible at would be a teacher, like teaching kids nine to five, five days a week. Like, wow, those people, come on. Not all heroes wear capes. One piece of work that I'm most satisfied with. Gosh, I think uh, maybe my Romans class. I taught a Romans class to our evening college students in New York, and I read probably five really solid commentaries for it. I like overdid it, <laughs> but the students got you know the best ride of their lives. I think you know, so I'm really pumped about that. I'd like to teach that class again someday. If I could have a giant billboard, it would be in New York City, and it would say, God loves you. So a while back, you came to team night here in Sydney and, and spoke, yeah. and it was a, a message about, I guess, the difference between gifting and anointing. Yeah. So I think it'd be fun to talk about gifting and anointing. Yeah. There's people out there listening, whatever, they're musicians in their church or mm-hmm. they're trying to, trying to make a way as a creative yeah. in, the, in the real world. Yeah. How's that gift that they might have mm. different to an anointing? Yeah, right. That's good. So I, so I grew up, let's give it a little context. Sure. So I grew up, once again, in the super charismatic church just outside of Toronto. And I was like ground zero for the Toronto blessing, whatever right. we want to call that. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember just how like weird and superstitious all of my friends were. And it bothered me. And like then a couple times we got burned by things that were super, they seemed in the time very spiritual and people were getting, you know, goose pimples and stuff. But then it just turned out to be people who are liars and phonies and stuff. And so that had a huge impact on me. And um, that's my knee jerk now. Mm. It's probably, I'm a bit protective mm. now, you know, like, and so I've had to be, I had to do this delicate dance where I go, no, I'm never going to, I'm always going to be a charismatic. I'm always going to believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I see that in the Bible. The Holy Spirit is real. I've experienced him. I see it in scripture. Mm. I've also had, you know, experiences. So I want to contend for prophecy, contend for the gifts, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But sometimes there are just these moments where people just, we just over-spiritualize things. And so that's kind of like a journey that right. I've been on, okay? Mm-hmm. So when I started to kind of think about the gift versus the anointing, it was really kind of coming from yeah, my tradition. Um, and then it was coming from people like where one person is like going, oh, that's so anointed. And I'm going, it's it was a good performance. Right. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. or like I didn't feel anything. Mm-hmm. So what, am I not... You know what I mean? Like, is the anointing just feeling? Right. Like, so what's the measure of the anointing? Mm-hmm. You know, like, and what does it accomplish? And mm. who is it from? And so, anyways, long story short, 
I kind of did a study and I'd heard a teaching a number of times on just the various levels of spirit-filled Jesus, essentially. And mm-hmm. that's what I kind of what I a study that I or a teaching that I do as well called spirit-filled Jesus. Mm-hmm. Like Jesus needs the Holy Spirit. So how much more do you need the Holy Spirit? Right. Mm-hmm. So you see all these levels in Luke in between Luke and Matthew, uh, these experiences of Jesus with the bap, you know, baptized with the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit comes upon him, Holy Spirit leads him into the wilderness. Like, yikes, there's a message <laughs> in all of these, right? And then um, he's re- Jesus is depleted. And then he's refreshed again. And then he comes out in the power of the Holy Spirit. And and then he reads, you know, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And he's anointed me. And we kind of see like this, the anointing value is like the, it's the peak of that story and mm-hmm. these experiences in Jesus' life, et cetera. So the anointing is a, it's the peak performance that Jesus was functioning under in his ministry. Mm-hmm. Once he said that he started to heal people. You know, like once he said, you know, like he read that and he fulfilled that right. reading from Isaiah, mm-hmm. it was like game on. <laughs> and so it's a work of the spirit of God. It's a, it's a fullness. There's a fullness that Paul prayed that you could be filled with all the fullness. So it's a fullness. There's a fullness that we can experience because of the right, because we're the righteousness mm-hmm. of God, because of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And we can minister to people from this fullness. And so, then I kind of take a step back and I start sort of go, okay, so the Holy, so Jesus needed the Holy Spirit. There's a fullness of the Holy Spirit that I can experience. Filled doesn't mean full, so I need to remain full constantly. Then we make a delineation between the indwelling of the Spirit of God and then like the fillings, multiple fillings of the Spirit of God. So you have like it's like the well in the river. The Holy Spirit is indwelling you, hmm. but there's also a fullness that He can bring. Right. We make that distinction, and then we begin to look at what the Holy Spirit is accomplishing. Like, what is he doing? He's creating, there's regeneration and there's adoption. Regeneration is that work of bringing people to know the Lord. Adoption or sanctification is that process of bringing people into sonship. Mm-hmm. So kind of as you're, as I'm looking at all this, I'm going, okay, amazing. So the, this is what the, the work of the Spirit is. Now, let's look at the Corinthian church. The Corinthians are incredibly gifted and they're a, tr- they're a dumpster fire church. Right. So the Holy Spirit isn't getting to do the adoption bit. Mm-hmm. And much less, he's not even getting to do the regeneration bit mm-hmm. because this church is atrocious, but they're highly gifted, mm-hmm. even with spiritual gifts. Mm-hmm. So the gifting doesn't necessarily accomplish what the anointing accomplishes mm-hmm. in the sense of like the gift, you know, and then I kind of compare the two. The gift is from God, the anointing is from God. Both mm-hmm. need to be stewarded. Right. But the gift can be corrupted. Whereas the anointing, like you can sell the gift. You can, people can serve the devil with their gift. Mm. Uh, they can use the gift for their, for sinful means. Mm. We've seen that before, but the anointing always accomplishes the will of God. Mm. Right? So the anointing will always, it can't be corrupted because the anointing accomplishes what God sets out to, but the gift can accomplish, can accomplish what my will is, right. if that makes sense. So when you say gift, yep. I guess you're, you're speaking spiritual gift, yep. but then but even you speak that broadly. Broadly, right? yeah. Any charis, it can be a spiritual gift. It can be a gift of helps. Mm-hmm. It can be a gift of a guitar playing. Mm-hmm. I mean, all of those. Right. So someone's a, an architect or a, a graphic designer or whatnot. Let, yeah. Let's call that the gift yeah. for a second. Yeah. Do you see that they can then, is what you're describing, Mm -hmm. is taking that architecture and living in that fullness of the Spirit, 
the well of the spirit and the river of the spirit yeah. daily. Yeah. How does that outplay, I guess, is my question. Totally. So it outplays in all different ways. <clears throat> so you have the indwelling spirit, you know, like you're, you're a son and that you, this is just a fact. You know, like, so my niece, Frankie, she, Frankie is a Voss. Her last name is Voss. It's Dutch. She's a Voss, even though she poops her pants, <laughs> you know, like you're a son. That's it. Like, so Frankie, when she's being naughty, still a Voss. Right. You know what I mean? But as she obeys mommy and daddy and she begins to become, so there's a being a Voss and then there's becoming a Voss, Mm -hmm. right? Vosses don't throw food at the table, (laughs) right? Right. So as you become more like father, then then father begins to give you Mm. more authority and ability, if that makes sense. And that's where I think the anointing value comes. Mm that makes sense. Mm. So begin to partner with heaven in this strange process of what the and what the Holy Spirit brings. Mm. So somebody who's an architect, okay. The architect is son and they're also in this process of becoming a son, mm-hmm. right? So they're a Voss and they're becoming a Voss, mm-hmm. you know. The anointing the, the gift will could let's say the the gift makes the house beautiful the gift serves the family the gift is bringing home the bacon etc all that <laughs> yeah. stuff but the anointing is something it's an intangible that is imparted to people on a spiritual level mm-hmm. that brings it's their spiritual wisdom for somebody else so you can be an architect but you can have words of wisdom or you have strategies from heaven that can bring corporate and individual growth and maturity because that's one of the the, the values of the anointing is maturity mm. you can be operating on a level that is it's impo- like so for, so for example like a, a, a parking lot attendant mm. a parking lot attendant they could say hi to somebody god loves you in the smile and it breaks somebody mm. like breaks something off of someone mm. and they don't understand what they just did but because they're living in the anointing mm. Their gift was, I mean, maybe it was a gift, maybe it wasn't, maybe the gift of of greeting, Mm. but that gift imparted the anointing, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Because the gift can impart the anointing. The gift can point, but it can also impart Mm. the anointing, if that makes sense. Mm. So it's like a, it's a bit of an intangible. Mm. We see it mainly in its expression in sanctification, Mm -hmm. in that intangible of, because the Holy Spirit is the only one who brings something new. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. In ordinary life, mm-hmm. for the ordinary person, yeah. is this something they need to be concerned about? In other words, what I mean by that is, right. should they read the Word? Yeah. Obviously, like we said, interpret it well, yeah, yeah. become a theologian, yeah, yeah. do their best to mm-hmm. do what it says, yeah. and the anointing will take care of itself? Right. So, I think that the your average Joe who's coming to church and they're tithing and they volunteer a service or whatever. And I think that they are, the anointing value, absolutely, it's huge. I think that there are two types of anointings. There's corporate anointing and there's an individual anointing. Corporate anointing is really, it comes from an individ- individuals, you know? So like what you bring collectively, where the grapes are, that's the wine is. Mm-hmm. I think our church is a great example of mm-hmm. people who, like we come as individuals and we're mm. coming prepared and we're coming to give and we're, you know, people who own the vision, mm. you know, the, the vision isn't just, it's Pastor Brian's, but we embody it. Mm-hmm. We, you know, Pastor Brian loves Jesus and he's telling us to love Jesus. We love Jesus too. Gosh, mm-hmm. darn it. <laughs> you know, and so we're kind of coming and we're, Pastor Brian's saying, bring what you have. And so the, the, the congregation brings what they have and 
there's an anointing there. Mm. So as we kind of like dwell in unity, we dwell in focus, we dwell surrendered lives, we dwell with repentant lives where we're continually coming before the Lord and, and humility before one another, mm. accountability, mm. all these good things, mm-hmm. you know, there's an anointing there. Mm. Peter said, repent, that times of refreshing can come from the Lord. Mm. I believe that like repentance and a life of continual repentance and mm. working, walking through things, that's an anointing value. Mm. Because what's the Holy Spirit trying to do? He's trying to mature us and bring us into sonship. Mm. How does he do that? Through repentance. Like, <laughs> right. But that's too practical. Mm. You know, it's not it's not sexy enough mm. because you know, we want the anointing value to be like literal oil in our head. And sometimes it is. Mm. But I think that the anointing comes through really, really earthy stuff, if mm. that makes sense. It does make sense. Yeah. Look, it's been awesome. I feel like we've only just scratched the surface of a conversation. We need another 50 of these. Yes. Yes. (laughs) So next time, we'll pick up the conversation. Brilliant. Continue. Cheers. Um, But thank you for coming, sharing, anointing. Thanks for having me. And even more than I I think becoming a good theologian is actually really important. Mm. And we so easily will forget the Word of God and just interpret on our own, yeah. interpret life through our own lens yeah. and then continue to do that. We have an experience, we get hurt or whatever, or something bad happens and yeah. then we're expecting bad to happen or expecting people to hurt us or yeah. expecting the worst yeah. rather than continuing to allow the Word of God to be a lens that we look at circumstance totally. through. Yeah. And I think any time we can remind ourselves and remind others to do the hard work mm-hmm. of really wrestling with truth yeah. prior to and even in amongst yeah. um, situation, yeah. anytime we encourage people to do that is a good time. Yeah, it's, it's a total um, win. I think that we're coming into a time where we're going to get so good at it. But I think that it's been, it's kind of like we've hit the bottom of, it's it's sort of like the Reformation started this quest for empiric, empirical knowledge. Mm. And then we decided in the, the late 19th century, wow, like actually total objectivity isn't possible. So let's just return to subjectivity. Mm. And we're kind of coming back and pushing against postmodernism and Mm. just going, okay, truth is knowable, you know, like without getting into, you know, crazy detail. Truth is knowable and we should seek it with everything. Exactly. And not allow circumstance to dictate what that truth is. Exactly. Yeah. That's it. Awesome. Well, I really loved that conversation with Nathan Finocchio. He's a fun guy and a real thinker. I left with a lot to think about, and I'm sure as you've listened to the interview, there's a lot to chew on there, a lot to work through. As it turns out, Nathan has a book out this week, which is called Hearing God. So if you'd like to explore some of those concepts further, if you'd like to get an understanding of how to hear God's voice in context of the Word, then grab his book. I'd encourage you to do that. So next up, we've got today's Q&A. So we're answering some of your questions. Let's jump straight into it. We've got a question here from Jennifer, who goes by Jen. Hi, Hi Jen. Jen. <laughs> um, this question is, how do you handle the number of big events that you have? Right. We like, we literally laugh. We're the church that never sleeps. <laughs> and um, our senior pastor, Bobby, often says, when we get to heaven, we'll all get to rest. And then she jokes and goes, no, 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 we're going to put on the banquet. We're actually going to put on the, the uh, marriage of the Lamb. And I go, I am definitely not doing that when I get to heaven. <laughs> 
Because we do, we live in a church that is relentless in the next big event, the next Sunday, the next um, colour conference, worship conference, Hillsong conference, it's Vision Sunday, it's Mother's Day, it's mm. Father's Day, it's Christmas, it's Easter, like, and most churches would be the same. Mm. I think the only way to handle that is to actually um, build your teams bigger. And to be honest, this is a challenge for us mm. and we talk about it often that we don't have enough people to be able to execute what we want to in the timeframes that we want to. In fact, Rich, I can remember. <laughs> I, so I can remember, remember what you're about to say. One year we decided that we were going to do it better than we'd ever done it before because we were all filling this stretch of the year before. And so we sat down with a calendar and our human resource mm. and we began to allocate yeah, well, I thought I would create a Gantt chart <laughs> right. for anyone out there who knows what that is um, with proper timeframes, allocating resources, times, the, everything to each event. And this was in, I think it was in like maybe the November or December, before, you know, yeah. I was planning for the next year. And I realised at that point that we were already behind. Right. <laughs> and so when I got to about 500 lines deep in this chart, I gave up because there was just no hope for actually... Um, because you went, we were too many... Too many events and... Not enough people. Yeah. And not enough money. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah, the resources And not enough time. Had. Exactly. And so then we kind of go, well, God's going to have to come through somehow and yeah. we'll have to take it a day at a time. Right. And since then to now, I think we've revisited even our creative process. We've right. revisited how we do things and, and the resources that we allocate to things, yeah. including the people, which has led us on a, um, a journey of just expanding our teams, right. breaking down the teams into smaller teams, uh, smaller work groups um, and people who work perhaps just on less but on more specific things. Right. Um, so it might be that, that a team works only on Christmas, um, the Christmas Spectacular, but they work on that all year or, um, you know, just on, on the Easter campaign or whatever the thing might be. But either way, the, the events still happen. There's still a sort of a relentlessness of the calendar. And because I wonder if you could speak to this, the church calendar is the same every year or very similar and yet we've never had that particular Easter or that particular conference before. So when you turn up at Easter for this year or you turn up at this Sunday, what do you tell our team and how do you approach that to keep it fresh? Yeah, I absolutely 100% think that part of the answer to this question is in um, a pastor's heart for the health of its pe his people or her people hmm. because you're right in what you're saying. God is always doing something new. Mm. And if we presume to know what we're doing, familiarity actually breeds contempt. Mm. And I think familiarity is probably the antithesis of expectation and seeing God move. Mm. Um, Pastor Robert Ferguson this week preached an incredible message at our staff meeting and he said the presence of God always comes with a price. Mm that there has been a, a legacy and a history in the Old Testament, New Testament of people sacrificing in order to see God move. Mm. And I think for our creative teams it's the same, like the cost of pulling off these events is part of the price that we pray, pay in order to see God's presence manifest in the church. Mm. And so we have this incredible responsibility and obligation to keep turning up even though there's a relentless pace 
because we want to be used by God to see mm. his kingdom expand on the earth because there is nothing like watching people become Christians and get a revelation of who Jesus is mm. and that's the end goal of everything that we do. Mm. Not that our creativity would be so magnificent and awe-inspiring but actually that the lights would go on for mm. people. So like um, in December... We'd had a very, very big year and we got to Christmas time and we had decided that we were going to do something new at Christmas. We are going to do um, new films and we are going to tell the story differently to how we told it before. And so that took a lot of work. Like for our guys, there were a lot of 5am mornings, a lot of volunteers. Our boardroom was turned into a sewing room mm -hmm. for weeks on end and it became the place where Roman guard costumes were forged <laughs> and like all sorts of things. And people were working on scripts and they were working on folly and they were working on all sorts of different parts of the process. But when it came to December and everybody was tired and worn out, one of the greatest stories that we told everywhere in our team was that last year on events like this, we gave out a certain number of Bibles. This time we gave out 100% more than what we had done last year. Mm. So like, I think it was something like we went from 50 Bibles in a service to 500, like some ridiculous mm. number of change, which equated to lives being transformed by the gospel. Mm. And so I think in the relentless nature, any time that you can stop and show your team how it's actually impacting people, mm. you can tell the stories of transformation or testimonies, mm. it actually helps mm. to give perspective to the work. Yeah, because in every big event there's real meaning and God is doing something 100%. pretty amazing and, and unique to that. Um, and alongside that there's a lot of work and there's right. a lot of planning and preempting that goes into it so that you can actually make sure your team come out the other side. Right, 100%. Yeah. And he'll mm. do it with or without us, right? Mm. So then I guess you always have a choice to opt in. Mm. Exactly. So, Jen, hopefully that answer is helpful and thanks so much for the question. That's it for today's episode. I hope you've enjoyed it and it's been useful for your journey. If you haven't already, I'd love to take a minute just to encourage you to subscribe. When you do that, you become part of our growing community of creatives who are trying their best to live out their faith through their creativity. So join us anywhere you find your podcasts, subscribe, and then you won't miss out on anything. And I always love to hear from you. So please write us a review on Apple Podcasts or iTunes. It helps with the visibility of the podcast and it lets us know what you think, what you're enjoying and where we can go with the podcast in the future. Aside from that, you can write to me on Twitter, at Rich Langton, and we'll talk to you next time.